Today on Ag News Daily. I think that the timing of how these two markets will converge, I mean, we're right at the cusp of when, when this is going to play out because as we get into March, there will eventually start to be the South American crops coming into port and coming on to the global market. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here joining you today from the great Colorado. I'm actually in the Denver area today. It is, of course, the Market Monday podcast joined by Ashton Carr. And Ashton, I tell you what, it is sunny here. The weather is nice. I've had a little bit of a pick-me-up mood, I got to tell you, after being in the cold, snowy, gross temperatures last week. I'm also kind of in a pick-me-up mood because we're finally seeing some warmer weather here in Lubbock. All the snow has melted off, but... The quick change in going from like 12 degrees to 60 degrees, I'm a little bit stuffy today. I don't know if you can tell by the sound of my voice, but yeah. I'm feeling great. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, that always hits me too. Every time around that time of year when the weather starts to get nicer and warm up a little bit, my allergies and my sinuses just go way out of whack. So I feel for you. Yeah, they've been pretty rough yesterday and today, but today I invested in a neti pot and it has completely changed. Oh, okay. I'm not going to lie. I've heard of them, but I don't really know what that is. It basically, I think, just clears out my nasal passage. It gets all of the yuckiness out and like moisturizes your nose. I don't know. It just like cleared me out earlier when I tried it for the first time. So I'm excited to do it again. It might be a little TMI, but it completely changed my life. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what it is. So I guess it's not TMI to me, but it might be to other people who actually do know what it is. But uh, I tell you what, Ashton, let's hop into some news for today. I will kick things off here. Of course, today is Market Monday. So we'll be talking to Elaine Cub coming up here in just a second. But I've been watching pretty closely here coming from Chinese. The Chinese agricultural minister said on Monday that by the end of June, they are expecting to see the hog herd rise back to pre-African swine fever levels that they saw previously in 2017. So they're saying by the end of the June, by the end of June, they should see things back to completely normal. And that is going to be pretty supportive, I think, for corn and soybean demand moving forward. So that is definitely something that we'll have to get Elaine's thoughts on here coming up in just a little bit, Ashton. We certainly will, Delaney, and I'm excited to have Elaine on to talk more about markets. But one thing that we have really been talking about here on the podcast is the EPA and the small refinery waivers. And for over a year, the EPA and the ethanol industry have been going back and forth trying to get some clarification on those waivers. And today, the ethanol industry can declare a win, so to speak, over the EPA when the agency announced that it supports the court's interpretation of the renewable fuel standard small refinery provisions. The EPA announced that it is supporting the 10th Circuit Court's January 2020 decision in the court case. And after review of the decision, the EPA's new leadership agrees with both the court and the biofuel litigants that small refinery exemptions were meant to be temporary and that only pre-existing exemptions may be extended by the agency. In a news release about the decision, the EPA states that it agrees with the court that the exemption was intended to operate as a temporary measure and consistent with that congressional purpose. 
The plain meaning of the word extension refers to continuing the status of an exemption that is already in existence. The four petitioners in that case, which were the Renewable Fuels Association, National Corn Growers Association, American Coalition for Ethanol, and National Farmers Union, also released a statement after the decision was announced, saying that, quote, our nation's biofuel producers and farmers appreciate EPA's careful review of the 10th Circuit Court's decision, and we are pleased with the agency's new leadership is reversing the previous administration's flawed position on small refinery exemptions. This announcement marks a major step forward by the Biden administration to restore the integrity of the renewable fuel standard and honor the intent of Congress. We wholeheartedly agree with EPA's conclusion that the small refinery exemption was intended to be a temporary measure. and We are pleased to see the agency confirming that only previously existing exemptions may be extended. So finally, an end to, like I said, more than a year-long battle between the EPA and the ethanol industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and some much-needed clarity, it sounds like, too, Ashton. Yes, much-needed clarity, and I haven't re- reviewed the full decision or anything like that. I mean, it's 99 pages long, so folks, if you do need some reading material, you can go and read that, but I did not. I just read those small statements. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I'd be uh, volunteering to read that myself, Fashion, but switching tracks here just a little bit. The global sugar market is going to be getting another reason to rally, it sounds like. So I know we've been watching really closely not only U.S. weather, but South American weather, and more specifically Brazilian weather. Well, they've been having quite a bit of delays for their soybean harvest, largely due to weather, which has caused delays at their ports because they haven't had a product to ship. They've seen a lot of uh, vessels just waiting around basically for the product to be harvested and delivered to the ports. But now we're running into the very likely chance that not only is their Slovene harvest delayed and will need to be shipped a little later than usual, but soon we will see Brazil begin their sugar harvest. And they are the world's largest sugar producer, I believe. But in May is usually when we start to see some of those sugar products hitting the marketplace, hitting some of their terminals. And so it sounds like there could be a domino effect when it comes, uh, which already comes at a time when we've had tight global sugar supplies. I mean, you think back to COVID, a lot of people were baking. Um, they were at home cooking more as well. That started to shrink our global sugar supplies. Now, we're not necessarily having less supplies, but less supplies that are going to be available to hit the marketplace, it sounds like. So could be very interesting. You know, I don't know a whole lot about the soft market, sugar market, other than when I see it at a grocery store. But it does seem that soybean vessels and sugar vessels could be competing for some vessels, some shipping vessels here uh, in just maybe a month or two. Well, Delaney, taking things over to Germany, German brewers have been forced to throw away any unsold beer and have asked the government for financial aid as the coronavirus lockdown reduces demand. German pubs, hotels, and restaurants have been closed since November in their second lockdown following the first one earlier in 2020. The brewers called on the German government to give breweries aid under the country's programs to help the industry recover from the impact of COVID-19. And Germany's government has given financial aid to pubs and bars, but not to breweries specifically. 
And there was an open letter from about 300 breweries released by the Brewers Associations, DBB and VPBD. The letter was signed again there by 300 breweries, a mouthful for me to to be able to say that word apparently, um, across the country. And the letter said that the lockdown and the collapse of the draught beer market, this created meant breweries lost a large part of their economic foundations overnight. Sales of bottled beer in shops were nowhere near enough to compensate for lost sales to the hospitality sector and weak exports. So not some not great news for the German beer market. I don't know if other countries are experiencing the same thing, but uh, I feel sorry for those breweries over there in Germany. Yeah, as do I, actually. And I'm sure a lot of those beers get exported to other countries. So we might see a little less German beer on the marketplace. But I've got just one final headline I wanted to share with us. And it's, I guess it's a headline, but it's more really a longer term story that's been developing. And it's one that we talk about a lot on the podcast and probably one we ought to talk about again here soon as we're heading into planning season. But that is the weather. Read a really good article today on... Uh, the Daily Scoop, which is put out by the Farm Journal, looking ahead at spring weather, because as we've talked about on the podcast before, Ashton, 2021 could shape up to be like 2019 when we saw a lot of flooding happen through the Northern Plains into Nebraska and a little bit of Iowa. And it sounds like there's a couple factors weighing into whether or not we see similar weather patterns repeated into this year. So I guess the big ones here are looking at last week, we saw a lot of snowfall in, you know, some of the northern states, even all the way down to where you're at there in Texas, Ashton. And so meteorologist Trent Ford, who's with the Illinois State Climatologist, said that there's two things factoring into his analysis of whether or not we see those weather conditions repeated. One is soil moisture conditions, and the second is whether or not we see a La Nina weather pattern Uh, continue to develop here because La Nina weather patterns typically see a a drier spring with an average rainfall of one and a half to three and a half inches of rain. So that's less than average, he says. And so that would obviously if we had a drier spring, be a little bit better on the weather scene, wouldn't hopefully see widespread flooding like we did in 2019. But he's saying that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration's model indicates that March to May will be warmer for the southern two-thirds of the United States action. So lucky you, you get some warm weather coming here ahead. And uh, there'll be a large part of the eastern Midwest that will be wetter than normal. So he said this is going to be something that we're going to have to continue to monitor here pretty closely. But um, it could could be lining up, unfortunately, for another 2019 similar type of year, it sounds like. Yeah, I have read a couple of articles talking about weather and, you know, not just about the weather that we just had, but predictions for what is to come. And I'm anxious to see how planting and the rest of 2021 goes. But Delaney, I'm all out of news for today. How about we go ahead and jump into the markets? Perfect, Ashton. Let's do that because we had quite a bit of green across the screen today, kicking things off here in the March corn contract up eight and a quarter cents to close at 551. The May up eight and three quarters cents to close at 550 and a half. In the soybean pit, strength again as the March contract closed up six and a half cents to close at 1383 and three quarters. The May up seven and a half to close at 1387 and a half. Chicago wheat higher on the day as well as the March contract closed up 13 and a quarter cents to close at 664. The May up 14 and a quarter to close at 669 and three quarters. 
hopping over to take a look at the livestock pits today. Mixed trade in the cattle complex as the April live cattle contract shed 62 and a half cents to close at 123.05. The June down 27 and a half to close at 120.25. In feeder cattle today, as I mentioned, mixed trade and strength was definitely with the feeders today as the March contract closed 20 cents higher to end at 139.32 and a half. The April up 60 cents to close at 143.27 and a half. And in lean hogs, April today up 62.5 cents, tickles at 85.12. The May up 45 cents, tickles at 87.85. Starting to see a little bit more strength as we look out into the deferred contract. And rounding things out today with our Class 3 dairy milk futures, the March up 7 cents today, tickles at 16.34. The April up 6 cents, tickles at 16.82. Ashton, without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Elaine Cubs. Well, folks, as promised, we are talking to Elaine Cub today, author of Mastering the Grain Markets. Elaine, it's good to have you back on again. It's been a little while. It's wonderful to talk to you, Delaney. Elaine, I've got to ask, uh, we were just talking about right before we got into the market segment for today, we were talking about weather. And I got a two-part question for you. One, how was your guys' weather last week? Did you guys have really, really cold temperatures and a lot of snow and ice? And two... Do you think we're going to see a repeat of 2019 when we saw all of that snow and stuff melt and have a lot of flooding through the Northern Plains into Nebraska and Iowa? Well, I'm delighted to talk about this, Delaney, because actually right where I am in North Central South Dakota, we have had the most mild, amazing winter. Like every you're getting, you know, feet of snow down in Nebraska and Iowa. Yeah. And we do not have much snow on the ground whatsoever. We did have that cold snap. I mean, obviously the entire center of the continent had that cold snap when the polar vortex broke out. Um, but, you know, we're prepared for it up here and, you know, you, you melt out some, some cow waters and whatnot, but other than that, it wasn't, it wasn't a terrible experience for us here. And actually that plays into <clears throat> your next part of that question is what to expect as far as flooding goes. And because I think the dryness that we have right here is also related to the dryness in Colorado, in Wyoming, and in Montana. That snowpack up there uh, is, if my understanding is, it is not, it is not, uh, it's not even normal. It's less than normal. So as we go into, you know, what's coming down the Missouri River Basin all the way into the Mississippi River Basin in the next few months, the expectation is not for it to have a huge amount of water pouring in there. Um, they did have some ice jams on the Platte River in Nebraska already last week, but that's not out of the ordinary. The concern now would be if you had like a really rapid thaw or if you had a lot of rain coming on to, let's say, frozen ground in Kansas right now as we're speaking, that would have been a concern. But it doesn't seem like that's what's happening. So, so no, we're, the market should not be overly fearful of, of ice, ice jams or flooding yet. All right. That's some good news. I think uh, farmers are looking for a win this year as they head into planting season. But the other big headline that we've talked a little bit about here in the past few days, the USDA is having their annual ag outlook and uh, they're pointing to increased acres for corn and soybeans. Elaine, what's your estimate right now as we get ready to head into planting season? It's hard to believe that next week is already March 1st, but what do you think we're going to see this year for acreage numbers? 
So USDA economists, they said 92 million acres for corn and 90 million acres for soybeans. And I don't see any particular reason to quibble with that, except that when you look at the crop insurance reference prices that are being set this month, you know, they take an average of all of the trading mm -hmm. days through the month of February. And that gives you a reference price of, of where folks can buy crop insurance policies. And so far, that's looking like 454 for corn and about 1173 for soybeans and we still have five trading sessions to get through this month so those could change but as a as a ratio of the two crops together that's a ratio of like 2.6 to 1 soybeans are worth more than corn and ordinarily you tend to see that at 2.45 to 1 so what I say this just to point out that soybeans are slightly overpriced compared to corn in you when you look at the historical relationship that the two markets generally have. Therefore, I think that farmers will be motivated to plant soybeans or other oil seeds in the, in the other areas of the country where you've got a market for canola, let's say, uh, or sunflowers. Uh, some of these other crops will also be in this acreage mix as we go forward. But if I was going to quibble with those USDA acreage numbers, I would have maybe a, a higher bias towards soybeans that they might pick up some more and be more competitive with corn with that play between that 92 million acres and the 90 million acres. Together, of course, that's, I think, a record setting combined acreage for those two crops together of just the row crops, corn and soybeans. Yeah, absolutely. That's the that's been kind of the headline I've been picking up on too is just record amounts, Elaine. So since we're talking soybeans, let's talk here about old crop versus new crop. We're finally starting to see new crops come a little bit closer to the old crop numbers. I think we closed today out at like twelve eleven in new crop. We've got to continue to see something happen here. Either new crop gains value or old crops lose in value. I hope at some point we see that converge as uh, we get closer. What's your outlook here? I mean, especially if we're going to be seeing some record soybean numbers for soybeans heading into planting and harvest season. Yeah, I think that the timing of how these two markets will converge, I mean, we're right at the cusp of when, when this is going to play out because... As we get into March, there will eventually start to be the South American crops coming into port and coming onto the global market coming out of Brazil. And it's extremely rare that you would see soybeans imported into the United States from Brazil. But from a price perspective, especially when we saw the Brazilian currency is dropping today, sort of some other political things that's going on down there. But there's certainly the potential for those two markets to have to stay competitive. And that will put downward pressure on U.S. soybean prices. And if necessary, the U.S. could bring in soybeans from Brazil. You know, it would just be this weird timing where we shipped everything we had to to China because of the timing of China's decision to, to rebuild their feed grain stocks and, and soybean meal stocks. And now the timing of the, the world market is to, to turn towards Brazil. So I'm fairly neutral about the old crop soybean prices and not having too much room to turn higher. The new crop soybean prices that you mentioned at now above $12 in the futures, that's more interesting because again, going back to the USDA ag outlook, their projections for 2021 were still quite tight. You know, a stocks to use ratio of, I think, something like 3%. So the expectation from those economists is that the soybean market and the global oil seeds market will continue to need to pay up for these, for these tight supplies. Yeah, and the other thing I find interesting right now, Elaine, when you talk about stocks to use ratio and Chinese demand is they're still anticipating China to continue buying soybeans and corn even at these record high U.S. prices. Is that, isn't that right? 
Yeah, and I think this goes way back to the ASF, the African swine fever scenario. You know, after the China's swine herd diminished by 40%, now they're in the in the situation where they're trying to rebuild it. And they have succeeded. They've their pork production in 2021 is expected to be 14% more than it was in 2020. So they are rebuilding it, but it is an ongoing process. So yes, as we go forward into the 2021 marketing year, 2022, China will continue to be a purchaser of feed grains and soybeans and oil seeds. And what's also really interesting, and this was something I picked up from that USDA Ag Outlook meeting, is the idea that as China is rebuilding that that swine herd, it's less of the pigs that are in somebody's backyard eating, you know, whatever you've got around. And it's more of the industrial style of hog production where the government is specifically setting out, you know, motivation for people to build barns, pour concrete, build feed mills to go along with large barns to feed hogs in. And that sort of hog production requires more of these standardized commodities from the world market, your corn, your sorghum, your soybean meal, uh, barley from Australia, if they ever get get um, their trade war sorted out with Australia. Lots of feed grains are going into China and will continue to be for the next couple of years as they rebuild that herd. Okay, Elaine, we've got to put it a little bit in perspective here, though, because it feels like we've got a lot of bullish factors playing into the markets right now, a lot of supportive factors. Is there anything that you're watching that could be a hindrance on markets this year? Well, so I think part of the bullishness that is built into new crop prices is related to the drought in the Western Corn Belt. So we'll bring this conversation full circle, Delaney, and go back to how little snow I have here in South Dakota and the drought that there is in Colorado and all through the Western Corn Belt. So that looking forward, I think makes new crop prices spooky and has added some of the bullishness. That's part of the reason why we've got November soybeans above $12 and you know December corn above $4.50. That's part of the reason why. However, there is an expectation that in May, June, July, the La Nina thing that's going on now could neutralize and we could get fairly normal precipitation through the important early part of the North American growing season. So if the drought sort of goes away at exactly the critical time, then I think some of this bullishness will get pulled back out of the market. All right. So that's something we're just have to wait and see what happens. But since we're still talking weather, I wanted to just throw this into the conversation. I know last week with uh, a lot of the cold temperatures, winter wheat kill was a concern. Do you think we're going to see anything actually realized there? Yeah, I think that's real. I mean, I know that ordinarily in February, it's pretty hard to get worked up about weather and not even for winter wheat because it's dormant and, you know, nobody cares. But this time around, actually, the dormancy, it wasn't enough. Like the you, soil is, is an insulator for a dormant winter wheat crop, but only to a degree. And because of the those cold temperatures were so sustained across Kansas and eastern Colorado, where there is so little snow coverage to be an insulator and the temperatures were just so record-setting cold, yes, there is going to be winter kill. Nobody knows how much, but yes, there will be winter kill. Do you think the market's already factored that into prices or do you think that's yet to come? Kind of. I think, I mean, you can see evidence in the future spreads of the Kansas City wheat contracts. They've pulled out most of the carry past July. So for the the new crop of winter wheat that's coming up this summer, the commercial traders have tightened those spreads and pulled out that carry, showing that they are 
concerned about supply past then. But price-wise, no. I mean, you've still got Kansas City wheat, um, you know, six fifty thereabouts. That's not that's not a panic scenario. All right. Well, Elaine, let's uh, take things over to the protein markets to finish up today's conversation. I know a lot of farmers, a lot of ranchers, I should say, have been having nice surprises. I mean, you look at the board today and live in, in feeder cattle, we got some mixed trade. But for the most part, they've been trading right along. However, they also have higher feed costs. You know, you also raise cattle. So what's your outlook here for cattle farmers? Yeah, when you you know see the reports from the sale barns across the country, there's incredible demand for the feeder cattle that people do want to buy them, but only at a price. And so I think that's, like you say, with these charts, they're kind of running out of steam here, just feeling like they're bouncing along in a pretty sideways direction. And I think those feed prices is why. I mean, you can you can want to fill up your feed lot, but you can only pay so much for the calves. And and futures are generally going to stay below 145. I think I think the um the the feeder cattle index is like 136. And I think that's uh, of the price point beyond which people don't want to stick their necks out. Yeah. Do you think we'll see that demand or price action change here as we head into some summer grilling season months or do you think that it's just going to stay kind of sideways here for a while well when you start to talk about retail meat demand and and summer grilling um i think the outlook is is fairly positive or bullish for that and you certainly see it in the beef cutout and the pork cutout prices those box beef prices have continued to churn higher by higher each day i think you know last week choice was 238 or something so that's positive news certainly for the packers uh but we had a scenario right at the end of last week because of that cold or or the snow and the cold that happened in Texas and Mississippi, there were various packing plants that had to shut down for a few days or cancel some shifts. And so that feels to me like kind of a mini Holcomb. You remember when there was that fire at that packing plant mm-hmm. in Kansas and yeah. it messed up the whole market because you, they didn't, the packers weren't packing as much uh, animals and yet the prices for the actual meat continued to churn higher. So I think that's what we've got going on today. We saw that in live cattle futures, they fell while everything else was higher, including hogs keep churning higher and higher. But live cattle kind of had a stutter here. And I think that's partly why that needs to get worked through. But the outlook that you mentioned for grilling or for meat generally prices uh, have been strong and I think will continue to be strong. All right, Elaine, you mentioned hogs turning higher and higher. Give me your quick 90-second thoughts on the hog complex. Well, I mean, the July futures have traded $93 a hundredweight. So this is starting to get pretty rich. But when you compare that to China hog pork prices, um, you know, there is a market for it. So we just wait and see how far it can go. Fantastic. Well, Elaine, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they want to connect with you about the markets further. Yeah, you can always uh, get in touch with me on Twitter. I'm at Elaine Cub. I have a website, ElaineCub.com, and there you can go learn about the book, Mastering the Grain Markets. Fantastic. Well, Elaine, thanks again for joining us for Chat Markets today. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Delaney. Well, again, a big thank you there to Elaine. It's always a pleasure to have her on Ashton and chat markets with her. And folks, I again, I'll, I'll mention it. I'm sure most people probably already know out there, but Elaine does have a great book, Mastering the Grain Markets, for anybody that needs a little refresher on how markets work, or you know, even you, Ashton, be a good book to read uh, if you're getting into more of the economic side of agriculture. That's for sure. 
I was just about to say that I think I need to put that in my cart and read that. But uh, Delaney, we're always having exciting people on the podcast talk to us, not just about the economic sector in agriculture, but all things ag. And tomorrow we are having another Tech Tuesday episode. So folks, be sure to tune into that at agnewsdaily.com and follow along with us on social media at agnewsdaily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram while you're at it. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.